Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, and as Isaac said, we're in our series called Christmas at LifePoint, and what we're simply doing is going through this great story, and here's why. Christmas is believable because the story's just so incredible. And we want to take time to kind of walk through the story. And if you weren't here last week, we just looked at the backstory. And here's what we saw. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast if you didn't have a chance to listen to it. But we just saw that the entire Old Testament is one unified story pointing forward to Jesus. And it reminds us that God keeps his promises. And though your story and your life is important, it is valuable. It is one sentence in the grand story of God. And today, as we continue to look at the Christmas story, today we really look at the apex, that great moment in the Christmas story, the arrival of Jesus himself here on earth. So I'm excited for us to talk about why that matters to you. But before we get going, I just want to share something a little personal today to kind of get us kicked off. In fact, if you were here at our last gather, I actually shared some of this there. And if you're new and you're wondering, what is gather? It is just a time we get together every once in a while just to pray for our church in the future. And so quick commercial, in fact, the next gather that we're going to have is on January the 8th, 5 o'clock in the Connection Center. If you would like to put that on the calendar, you can. But at the last gather, I shared something personal that I wanted to share with you all. And uh, the truth is, I have many weaknesses, but one of the weaknesses that I have is that I want to be impressive. And I know you're thinking, poor guy. Like, you want to be impressive and yet, right? But it is one of the weaknesses I had. In fact, I shared this relationship box last time that maybe helps you kind of think of it in terms of where you land on this scale. And this relationship box shows us that the further up we go, the more known we are. And the further out we go, the more accepted we are. And if you are unknown and unaccepted, then you are isolated. If you are more known but still unaccepted, you are rejected. And this is for all of us our great fear. If you are more accepted but still unknown, you're trying to be able to impress, which is where I live. But what we all want is to be fully known and fully accepted and to experience love. But in order to experience love, we must be fully known and fully accepted. Now, all of us are afraid of this, and all of us want this. And because we're so afraid of this, we either live here or here most of the time. And the way this looks is we will be isolated because we will have a shell, and we will think, I don't want anybody, I don't want to let them in. If you ask me how I'm doing, I'm fine, but you're not. If you ask me what's going on, I don't care, but you do. It's this protective shell to keep people out and to protect what's inside of there. We don't want other people to see my flaws. Same way with the impressive box where I tend to live is this idea that we'll put on a mask, trying to impress, and if I'm honest, what I will do, you say, well, how does that work as a pastor? Shouldn't you know better? Yes, I should, and yet this is where I struggle to live. Sometimes, if I'm honest, what I'll think as a pastor, I'll think, well, 
everybody will appreciate my gifts are obvious. Surely people will thank me for what I do. Surely people will see the impact of what I'm doing. And what I'm really wanting, I think I'm wanting to impress you, but what I really want is to be loved, and yet I find safety instead trying to be impressive because I think if I hold the mask high enough, you will accept me, and you will accept my false self, and I don't risk you rejecting my true self. And my fear of this keeps me here as a cheap version of that. And I don't know where you land on this, but a lot of us hold that mask and we try to be impressive or we build a shell and we try to protect people from getting in all for the same reason. I don't want you to see my flaws because if you see my flaws, I'm afraid you will reject me. And so here's the question. Is it even possible to be fully known and be fully accepted is that even possible in our culture anymore I mean we know you can be fully known we know that because we've seen people rejected who were fully known like think about if you watch a court case there's evidence that's presented and everybody fully knows this person and what they've done and they're going to jail fully known or you think about somebody who's at work who does something wrong and the evidence becomes clear and they get suspended or they even get uh, let go, fully known. We know it's possible in a marriage, all of a sudden something becomes known and you have an argument, you have a fight, you have a separation or you have a divorce, fully known. We know it's possible to be fully known and be rejected. We also know it's possible to be fully accepted if you're impressive. I mean, think about celebrities, we celebrate them and we accept them. We don't know them, but we accept them because they're impressive. You think about athletes. We give them lots of money. We throw parades. We, we get excited about influencers. We give them, they gain lots of followers. They are impressive. But when they allow their flaws to be known, mm, things change. Great case is Kanye. Think of him two weeks ago. All of a sudden, he says some ridiculous things, and he goes from impressive to rejected, right? Because though he may have done some things that were certainly wrong and said some things that we certainly wouldn't agree with, there is a reality in our culture, maybe more than ever before, where we will be impressed with you and accept you, but as soon as we see your flaws, rejected. So here's the question. Is it possible anymore to be fully known and fully accepted? In a culture that you and I live in where we all want to be loved, but in order to be loved, whew, we risk the thing we fear the most. You see, this doesn't start with us. This has been since the beginning of time. Think about the original couple. You go back to the very beginning. According to the Bible, there was this couple named Adam and Eve who actually knew for a fact that they were fully accepted and fully known by God. And they had this wonderful daily relationship, but... We don't really learn a lot from that because if you think about it, they were pre-sin. They were flawless. So we go, well, of course, they would be impressive, right? They're going to be fully known and fully accepted. But as soon as they broke the one law that God had and they violated the command, they immediately assumed this was coming. So they hid themselves. even though they still wanted the love that they had experienced daily. 
Remember, they hid themselves. This is Genesis 3. If you were taking the story and there were a theme track going behind it, you get to Genesis 3 and all of a sudden it goes from major chords to minor chords and all of a sudden the story completely changes and all of a sudden they're isolated. And I would suggest humanity has been hiding ever since. Either behind a shell where we act as if we don't care or behind a mask where we're trying to impress people fearing they will see our flaws. So I say all that to ask this question. Today, can flawed people be fully loved? Because that's you and me. We live on this side of Genesis chapter 3. We were born in this category, and it didn't take us long to learn the word mine, right? Flawed people, can we be fully loved? Because to be fully loved means you are fully known and fully accepted and this is where we're going to pick up the Christmas story because this is where the Christmas story comes in because God wants you and I to know the answer to this question but he didn't want to just say it he wanted to show us the answer to this question that has been haunting every human heart because as soon as we recognize how flawed we really are we immediately hide behind a mask or behind a shell and God said okay let me demonstrate to you once and for all the answer to this haunting question. Can you be fully flawed? Well, that's where the Christmas story comes in. The iconic part of the story, Jesus' birth. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll look with me at Matthew chapter 1, the very first chapter of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in your seat. You can turn it to page 783 and we'll look at it together. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 23, it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, if you're new to church and you see that, you've got to be thinking, wait a minute, those two things don't match. A virgin giving birth, like that doesn't really quite measure up. The reality is the virgin birth of Jesus claims that Jesus was conceived apart from the normal reproduction process, but instead was conceived by supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, meaning he was conceived without sin. And you might be here and go, well, that's a pretty miraculous claim, and it is. You might even say, well, that would take a pretty big step of faith to believe such a thing, and it does. But what I would also challenge you is to consider maybe it also takes a step of faith to not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. I love this quote by Glenn Scribner where he says, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. Both take a step of faith. And if you're here and you go, you know what, but the whole virgin birth, it just, it's hard to get my arms wrapped around that, I would say, I agree with you. You say, well, then why does it matter? Well, let me just ask you to hang in there. As God's plan unfolds as we see it today, you will see at the end why it matters that the birth was from a virgin when Jesus came to earth. Now, let's look at the rest of the verse because you're going to see something else that will also take a step of faith. Here it is, the rest of the verse, it says, the virgin, birth will, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, say these three words with me, God with us. God with us. Now we're going to talk about that in a minute, but first I just want to pause and say in every teaching series we like to have one verse that we anchor the whole truth around and this is the verse for this series, meaning I'm inviting you to consider memorizing this verse. 
And so I want to say it once, and then I want to ask you to say it once out loud with me. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1.23. Would you just say that out loud with me? Say it with me. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew 1.23. Now what's the end of this verse? Because there is another miracle, there is another supernatural event that scripture is revealing. That the, one of the foundational beliefs of Christianity is this, the incarnation. You say, now what's the incarnation again? The incarnation is that God is with us in Jesus, meaning Jesus is both God and man. He is divine and human. He is both. In other words, it's easy to think that God would come to earth in the form of an alien or float around in some kind of robe and do some kind of supernatural things from a distance. But instead, in Scripture, we reveal a God who was born of a woman and who came to the earth in the first century speaking Greek and Aramaic like those in the region would and speaking about the things that other people cared about. This is the God who came to earth. He was incarnate. He was both God and Man, you say, well, Mark, that's a lot to get my arms wrapped around. And I would say, I agree. You say, well, then why does it matter? Well, hang in there. Because as the story unfolds, we're going to see why this matters. That Jesus was both born of a virgin and that he was incarnate. But the bigger question is, why did Jesus come in the first place? What was the whole birth of Jesus all about? And that's where I want us to back up two verses and let verse 21 answer that question once and for all. Matthew 1.21 reveals, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will, say this with me, save his people from their sins. That's why he came. Why did Jesus come? Because he would save flawed people like you and me from our sins. He would allow people like you and like me to drop the mask and to come out from underneath the shell that we think we are protected behind. That he would come for our flaws and that he would save us from our sins. It's a really big deal. This is why he came. And you say, well, wait a minute. He's a perfect savior. He came and he was virgin birth and he was incarnate why is that such a big deal and the, the author of Matthew wants to declare the reason for the birth of Jesus was so that we could no longer we would no longer have to wear the mask we would no longer have to wear the protective shield and that we could experience what we long for the most and that is to be deeply loved exactly as you I love this quote from David Benner in his great book, Surrender, Surrender to Love. He says, the deepest need for all human beings is to surrender to perfect love. And you may think, well, yeah, let me see it and I'll surrender to it, right? Perfect love sounds really good. All of us know love, but all of us know imperfect love. Raised by your parents, you may have had a parent or two parents at home and you may have had good love, but like all of us, your parents were imperfect. They were giving you imperfect love. Just like those of us who have kids, we give our kids love, but it is imperfect love. If you're married, you are experiencing imperfect love. Through coworkers and friends, you experience and know firsthand imperfect love. But what is perfect love? And this is why it matters. That he was a virgin-born son of God. Because he was sinless and he was a savior. 
He was and is perfect. And he offers perfect love. And this is not a love that we see anywhere else. This isn't a love that we've experienced anywhere else. This is a love that we long for, and yet we've often yet to fully experience it. And can I just tell you, just pause right now and say, as I'm going through this message, here's my greatest concern, is that many of you will sit there, and at the end of the service, you will go, yep, I objectively agree to everything that was said. And you will walk out and not be experientially experiencing the truth of experiencing perfect love. And I just want to ask you to wrestle in your own heart. God, what do you want to say to me today with all my flaws? Where do you want me to experience in your perfect love? Is there more from you that I have yet to experience in my own life? Perfect love. Now you may think, That just sounds too good to be true because I have a front row seat to my flaws and I know that if there is such a thing as a perfect love that I am doomed because I know exactly where my struggles are and there is no way I would qualify for something that good. And this is the best part of the Christmas story. Because Jesus didn't just come to be a perfect savior and that's the end of the story, his birth. The birth is not the end of the Christmas story. Instead, it is the beginning of the Christmas story because we see the pole, two poles of the most important part of every human life is the birth and the death. And by the way, we get to control neither, right? And in Jesus, his birth and his death create the story where we experience perfect love. And I want you to see this because again, when we needed to know the question, can I as a flawed person experience perfect love? God didn't want to just say the answer. He wanted to show you the answer. And here it is. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I want us to see this. And those of you who've been around for a couple of years may remember when I first came to LifePoint, this is the very first verse I invited you to consider memorizing. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I believe it's so powerful and pivotal in our own lives. But God demonstrates or he shows and displays. He didn't actions speak louder than words and God wanted to show us his own love for us or for you. And it was displayed, it was shown in this that while, not despite, not if you only go so far, there's a sin, oh, you crossed it, you're out. But while we were still sinners, while our flaws were being fully known, Christ died for us and we were fully accepted. Isn't that a powerful verse? I look at that verse, though, and something's always bothered me about this verse, and it's the active tense of the verse, because it feels like as we read it in 2022, the way it should read is God demonstrated his love for us because we would eventually be sinners, Christ died for us, right? But this is your active tense as if they're all happening simultaneously, active tense. It reads that God was demonstrating while we were sinning, while Christ was dying. And the tense feels a little awkward until you realize, one, God works outside of the constraint of time, but more, Paul, something is dawning on the author of this verse. Paul, who wrote the book of of Romans, who is a first century passionate follower of Jesus. What he is writing here is really profound because something is dawning on Paul. Paul, you remember before his conversion, Paul was someone who just... Uh, desperately wanted to eliminate Christianity. 
And so because of that, he wanted to eliminate it from the Roman Empire. He was constantly arresting, persecuting, and executing Christians. Arresting, persecuting, and executing Christians. He certainly had a few flaws as a sinner. But something dawns on Paul that sometimes doesn't dawn on us. Paul realized that while he was arresting and persecuting and arresting Christians, God was demonstrating his love for Paul. That while Paul was arresting and persecuting and executing Christians, Christ was dying for Paul. And Paul is dumbfounded by the reality that he was fully known, even his greatest sins. And there was a payment he couldn't pay, the payment that God required, God offered. And on the cross, he was fully accepted. And that changed Paul forever, where he became so bold for God, a God who would offer him perfect love, that he no longer had to stand behind the shell or wear the mask, but he was boldly going forward saying, I'm telling you, God demonstrated his love for you. No matter what, Christ died for you. And he was forever changed. Paul was shouting from Rome, it is possible for flawed people to be fully loved. Why? Because God, our God, he loves with no strings attached. I love this quote. This is a quote from uh, Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He says, the Buddhist Eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law. Each of them offers a way to earn approval or to be impressive. Only Christianity dares to make God's unconditional love available to us all. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. It's unconditional. Fully known. And fully accepted. God, the God that's in this place today, if you are flawed, he fully loves you. He loves sinners. He loves people who failed. He loves people who are waiting to be the prodigal child and wanting to return. He loves waiting on going after and pursuing the lost sheep. He loves those who've been damaged along the way. God loves to fully know you and to fully accept you. His love is unconditional. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to personalize what Paul wrote in Romans 5.8 because this is about where you live today, not where Paul lived 2,000 years ago. And to personalize this truth by filling in this blank. Knowing your struggle, whatever that might be, for you it could be arrogance, it could be pride, it could be lust, it could be uh, greed, It could be a lack of forgiveness or bitterness, but what is the thing you're struggling with? If you would just bring it in the forefront like nobody's going to know right now, but you and your creator, what is it that you're struggling with? What did you bring into this place? What is it that's at the forefront of your mind that if people knew you would fear rejection? God demonstrates his love knowing that to you by Christ dying for you. This changed Paul, and this can change you and me today. This is how we are loved. Now, 
If you're a skeptic and you think, I don't know. It just seems a little extreme, this whole idea of Christ dying on a cross. Doesn't, doesn't that feel just a little extreme, a little maybe even unnecessary? I mean, after all, the way I forgive people is I make a decision and I choose to forgive them. There is no action on my part where I have to do some kind of grand sacrifice. God being God, couldn't he just erase my sins? After all, I've never done anything that bad. I've never even been in jail. Why in the world would it be necessary for Christ to go all the way to the cross and die in order for God to forgive my sins? Doesn't that just seem just a little extreme? And when we think that, I think it's normal to question that, The reality is that reveals that we don't yet fully embrace the depth of the Christmas story. To illustrate that, I haven't even gotten her permission, but sometimes I found as a parent it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. And so my daughter, Reagan, who uh, when she was three years old, she was singing up here this morning, and when she was three years old, we walked into her room, her bedroom, and she had taken crayons, and she had colored on the wall, all four walls. It was her gift to us, right? And the little room had like a little bit of wallpaper and then the rest was paint and, and she just, you know, drawn all over it and drawn all over it and drawn all over it. And, and Ginger, my wife and I, we walk in and we see her contribution, right? Like she thinks that like this is really something meaningful and, and it's all, and in our minds, we immediately know what this mess means, This mess means we have to give a day now to clean this up, to go and get some wallpaper, to go and buy some paint. We're going to spend two or three hundred dollars and we're going to invest an entire day. I could look at Reagan and I could say, listen, I need you to go to the store. I need you to take two or three hundred bucks and I need you to go and you need to fix this. And she's like, what? Like she has no resources. She has no ability. Instead, she looks and we say, you've made a mess. And she goes, sorry, dad. Because she has no ability to appreciate the impact of her actions and she has no resources to fix the problem. And this is us. When it comes to our own life and our own flaws, we have no ability to fully understand the impact of our actions and the darkness of it all. And we have no ability to fix the problem. This is the beauty of the Christmas story, that Jesus' birth and his death demonstrate that we are far worse off than we could ever imagine, and yet we are far more loved than we could ever dream. This is the hope of the birth and death of our Savior. This is the great news about Christmas. Yes, it is good news, but the good news has been displayed for all of us to see that we can be fully loved. And it shows the heart and character of our God. And this is the beauty that God used Christmas to demonstrate that he fully knows you, Paul. And he fully accepts you. God will never cancel you you will be fully known and fully loved because the cross is greater than any rejection the Son of God has offered to you and to me. So, there's a catch. And you would say, I knew it! There is one catch. 
perfect love demands surrender. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You see, I love that old song. When I grew up in the church, there was a song that we used to sing. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Perfect love, perfect love you must surrender to. It cannot be earned. But here's a confession. Sometimes I kind of resent that. I, I want to contribute to it. I don't want to hand out. Like something about wanting to contribute to the love that I so desperately desire but it involves abandoning my ego. Perfect, perfect love of a perfect Savior means he will meet you where you are today and he asks you to open your heart and surrender to him and then receive the love that you so desperately long for and you will be perfectly known and perfectly accepted. I just want to take it a step further and say, if that's you today and you're like, you know what, I want to take that step, we don't want you to leave without taking that step. We would invite you right after the service. You can go here behind the tech booth and there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to pray right here in this room behind those curtains and there'll be some folks back there after the service to just pray and say, hey, look, I want to take that step of surrender today. We'll be out in the lobby, some of our staff, I'll be out there. I would love to just pray with you, but, but don't leave without settling this. You are invited. It is a perfect love, but it demands surrender. So back to our question, can flawed people be fully loved? The great news is yes, but you must surrender to the one who already fully knows you and he fully accepts you. This is the miracle of Christmas. Now, back to our relationship box that we started with today. Where are you in the box right now? Are you staying in this place of isolation, withdrawing and thinking, you know what, no one can hurt me here? Even though what Christ did on the cross and the love that you desire is not being experienced? Or are you here and you're saying, I'm wearing the mask, I'm trying, I'm trying to achieve, I'm going to figure out this company, I'm going to figure out what we need to do in order to make this retirement great, I'm going to figure out what to do with our family, I'm going to figure out the relationship, we're going to achieve, 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 I'm going to get this thing done. And what you desire the most is still here, waiting for you and for me, is it possible that what we're being called to do in this season is to drop the shell and to let him in? Is to drop the mask and to surrender to the Savior who's already demonstrated that he loves you so deeply? And to bring your shell and your mask into the light of day and lay it down and say, oh God, you already know who I am, but I'm just going to come completely honestly before you and say, I need you. This is the miracle of Christmas. He is waiting. It is why he came for you, for you. Christmas. It's easy to think, well, it's when we see the manger scene and we drive up and we see we've got it out here. You see Jesus, the little baby in the manger. It's a beautiful scene. We have all the traditions of Christmas, the mystery of the season, all the things that we love and enjoy each and every year. But here's why Christmas, I believe, comes on our calendar every single year. It is because it reminds us that God used Jesus to pave a way to cover your flaws and mine. 
to know that you are fully known and fully accepted and that you can be loved, all you have to do is surrender to this perfect love. God the Son coming to earth. Where are you in your relationship with this God? Has it become an intellectual ascent? Or are you in the place where you take your heart and you say, oh God, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I don't want to just do stuff for you. I want to be with you. God, I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your word. I want to be in prayer. I just want to spend time. I want to confess. And then I just want to listen. I want to be with you, God. Fully known and fully accepted. There is no safer place to be than in the presence of the one who knows all and loves all, who knows you best and loves you best. And here today, we come before him. God, I surrender to you again. Maybe it'll be for the first time or maybe it'll be for the 12th time or the 100th time. But for most of us, the best next step is open-handed surrender. In our culture of division, may we come before the God who will never cancel and who loves you deeply and who invites you to come, invites you to come to him. Can flawed people be fully loved? Yes, when they surrender to the one who knows you best and fully accepts you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth that you came to save people from their sins. And that is me, that is us. And for the truth that you love us so much that you demonstrated your love for us on the cross. While we are sinners, while we are flawed, while we are embarrassed, while we are ashamed, Christ died for us, fully accepted. Father, may that just penetrate in our hearts in a different way today. Spirit, I pray you would just move in this place and draw us to you. And God, may we come with open hands and surrender this Christmas season to you today all because of your son Jesus and what he did for us 2,000 years ago. We pray it all in his name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.